You're listening to the Sales is King podcast, episode 97. And have you ever thought to yourself, is it all worth it? The hustle, the crazy hours, the stress, the insanity, right? All the time you put in to make yourself successful, right? The Grant Cardone culture, the Gary V culture, right? Where they talk about 24-7, grind, right? The grind. Well, today on the Sales is King Spotlight, author Carlos Hidalgo is here to talk about his book, The Un-American Dream. And he's here to tell you that the hustle culture is all wet and it almost cost him his family. So let's talk to Carlos Hidalgo and welcome to Sales is King. Hi there. I'm on my way, I'm making it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Sales is King. Dan Sixsmith here. Very excited to have our guest today, Carlos Hidalgo, who, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is a serial entrepreneur, co-founder of two very successful businesses, and a thought leader and subject matter expert in the area of marketing and sales. And he's got a great new book out called The Un-American Dream. Carlos, welcome to the program. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about uh, the book, about CX, and anything else that we uh, think would be of interest to your audience. Excellent, excellent. So I recently watched your TEDx talk, which Mm -hmm. uh, was excellent, and spoke about, you know, some of the elements of the book. But tell us a little bit about the book. Why did you write it? Um, And what kind of happened in your life and in your career that led you to writing The Un-American Dream? Yeah, so, you know, the TEDx was definitely part of the message of the book, um, which really talked about work-life boundaries and kind of putting aside this idea of work-life balance. And really, for me, the reason I wrote the book is when I left Annuitus, uh, the first company that I co-founded, uh, I put a put a note out on LinkedIn, and I was astounded at the response that I got, not so much by the well-wishers, but more about the individuals that either called me or texted me or emailed me and said, uh, hey, what did you do here? I'm miserable. And how can I pull the plug like you did? And so this idea was like, wait a minute, this is this is crazy. And then the more I started to talk to people, the more... I started to hear I'm burnt out, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. And so it's truly un-American what we're doing in terms of our, our work life. And so that is why I decided to write the book, is to make sure that 
with how loud the voices are today of the hustle with mm -hmm. the Gary V's and the Jack Ma's and the, the Grant Cardone's talking about, you know, working your fingers to the bone. I mean, Elon Musk just came out. Nobody changed the world for in 40 hours a week. Um, I thought there needed to be an alternative voice. I thought mm -hmm. there needed to be somebody in there that says we can define success differently. We do not have to be, uh, try to rewire ourselves to be wired for work. We can be wired for relationship and still be successful and still have meaningful relationships and still have really meaningful businesses. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's tremendous and, and you're so right because I, you know, uh, follow a lot of these guys as do my kids. I've got uh, two boys that are uh, just starting in the workplace now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting, you know, they, they, you know, I look at it from their perspective, they struggle a little bit yeah. um, in how to, and I struggle sometimes with how to, um, you know, advise them because there is this uh, overwhelming kind of undercurrent of, you know, you have to be so committed and, and it's the hustle and it's the only way, you know, to get to the top. Um, but, you know, I, I love the fact that there's an alternative, but what's so, how do you, what's kind of the blueprint? You know, obviously you have to work hard at your job and you have to try 100%. and succeed. But how do you know, uh, you know, when to shut that off or at what point is it, is it, I'd be curious to get your take on it. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, um, I really came to, uh, and, and I talk about this in the, right off in the book with the introduction, I hit rock bottom. Um, I was at the point of losing my family. Um, my wife had had enough. I had bought into this idea that as the business went, so went my worth and identity. Um, mm -hmm. And so everything that I held dear and had deluded myself that I was doing all this for finally came to a head and was like, hey, we don't care about titles, about Mm -hmm. company growth, et cetera. We want you home. And even when I was home, I wasn't present. So I think you hit on something really important is that I am not in any way an advocate for not working hard. Mm -hmm. I work my tail off mm -hmm. <laughs> each and every behalf of my clients uh, in writing the book and promoting the book. Um, and that, that is without question. And I had hard work modeled for me from my father, who was an immigrant from Cuba in mm -hmm. 1960. So that was a blueprint. I was fortunate enough and a gift that I had uh, from my dad. So, but when you, when you ask the question, how do we know to turn it off? I think what we have to do is say, look, we, science has proven that we are only good for so many hours each and every week. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about and we applaud people who, oh, my God, they're working 90 hours a week, that's really inefficient. And mm -hmm. there's nothing to be applauded there. And so when, when and I, I don't have a magic formula, but what I tell mm -hmm. people is first and foremost, define what you value most. Mm -hmm. So for me, it is time with my family. It is time with my wife. I have uh, four children. Three are grown and gone out of the house. I have one mm -hmm. left at home. Um, so it is time, especially uh, with my high school, uh, soon to be high or uh, now high school senior starting in, in, in August. Hmm. And then it's my personal health, uh, both, you know, all things, including emotional, mental, spiritual, physical. So I take time to go to the gym. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I really value my work. I value the trust of my clients. So I set boundaries around that. So what I've done is I set up my days where I pretty much start work every day at the same time. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And then I pretty much sign off of work every day at the same time. Now within that boundary of work, I'm working hard Mm -hmm. and people know that I'm working. So when I get a a text from a buddy of, Hey, how about Wednesday night? We go grab a beer. I'm not responding to that text during my work boundary because Mm. that's my work boundary. I'm, I'm not engaging in personal activity. I'm engaging in work. And so I think when we can do that and then do that in community with people that are close to us, whether it's a significant other, a parent, child, um, you know, a, a close community of friends. And I, I'm fortunate enough to have my wife involved and some other very close colleagues. We can now stay accountable to those boundaries and live within them. And I can guarantee you, your work product will be better. And the work that you put in will be more valuable. And you'll be astounded at the amount of work you can get done within the hours that you set. And then you get to shut it off. You get mm-hmm. to unplug. And for me, that time is around 5.30, 6 o'clock every night, and I'm done. Now, if I go outside that boundary, and I've had people say that to me, like, oh, I got an email from you at 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> like, you know what? I had a discussion with my wife and said, hey, this is kind of important. Are, are you good if I just respond to this? Or even before that, it's, hey, I'm going to work late tonight so I can take tomorrow off. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, mm. there's no magic formula and it's a journey. And I think everybody's going to be different. Our boundaries would have been much different when our kids were younger. Yeah. And I love that. So it's really just kind of uh, putting a fence around each one of those, you know, so yeah. when you're working, you're working because, you know, oftentimes personal can spill over into work. Mm-hmm. Right. And then on your own personal time, you know, work definitely can spill over. So I guess yes. you kind of take your phone and your Mac and all that stuff and put it aside and uh, really just kind of focus on family and, you know, exercise and things that are important to you once the work day is over. Is that kind of how you do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's, um, it's nice because now I don't have to try to, to have one foot in each place. I'm not uh, at the, you know, excusing myself from the dinner table to get a conference mm-hmm. call or to, to look at a text or anything like that. Um, I, mm-hmm. I'm free and clear. And I've communicated that out to my colleagues, mm-hmm. my partners, my, uh, you know, my customers, and they respect it. And um, what I've seen is many people are now starting to say, hey, um, how can how can we do that? And, and would you help us do that? And I have clients saying, hey, we'd love to be a part of this. So mm-hmm. it's really, really been, it's been fun. So are you helping companies and individuals with this? Obviously, the book, are you going around and speaking and trying to kind of spread this gospel? Because I think it's so... God, it's so timely right now because we're just so consumed, right, as a culture. Mm-hmm. It's always on. You know, I always, I, I always say to my kids, I say, you know, I remember my dad just coming home from work or even early in my career. You know, no one could get a hold of you. Right. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Unless they called you at home. So yeah. there was no such thing as email. But um, so how are you kind of helping companies? Um, do you have kind of formal uh, training and curriculum at this point, or are you just kind of using the book, uh, on a, on a kind of speaking tour? Yeah. So I, I am doing some speaking around the book. Um, and, and the topic of the book, I've been doing a lot of writing on the book. I was fortunate enough to have fast company pick up an article 
that mm -hmm. I wrote last week. And so I am starting to do more and more speaking around the contents of the book. The TEDx was the first one that I was able to do, which was a fantastic and as somebody who, who loves to to speak and share ideas to get that stage was was phenomenal and, and something that I felt very humbled by. Um, and then at Marketing Profs this year, I'll also mm. be speaking on discovering worth, identity, and happiness by redefining success. And so further to your question, I am starting to work with uh, individual executives. And mm -hmm. then hopefully that will lead to working with companies on coaching them on not just how do you do this for yourself, but how do you create a culture with in mm. your organization that really to me just becomes human and respects individuals. I just read a stat this morning that said 52% of Americans finished 2017 with unused vacation time. And the whole uh, thrust of the article was, do you feel guilty for taking vacation? And I'm mm. like, what <laughs> is going on? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll be I'll be the first to say and I talk about it in the book 2016 was the first time I ever took a vacation with my family where I didn't bring a laptop and the craziest thing happened when I came back the world was still spinning on its axis <laughs> the business was still there my customers still picked up the phone when I called and the first thing out of their mouth was so how was your vacation and I'm about to take another one next week. I'm going mm. up with my family and I am completely unplugging. And you know what? I'm pretty sure when I come back, the world will still spin on its axis. Yeah. And, um, there's nothing so important that's going to happen when I am out that can't be addressed when I come back. No, I love it. And um, it'd be very interesting to try and help companies you know, establish this type of culture. And I think, as you mentioned, you'll probably wind up with more productive employees because I think right now it seems like we're wrestling with a lot of burnout. We're wrestling with turnover. Mm -hmm. uh, we're wrestling with people, you know, jumping from job to job. So, you know, maybe some of these companies can distinguish themselves by setting up some sort of culture where it's like, hey, you know, we, we, we work hard, but then we're, you know, we know that everybody has lives. And um, I just don't even know how this even started in our society. But, you know, you hear about the Europeans and, you know, how uh, these guys take the month of August off and you can't get a hold of them. But um, how do you think we got here? <laughs> I think a lot of it is our hyperconnectivity. Yeah. Um, you know, when we... I, I, I'm always interested and my wife and I now have a game that we play when we pull up to a stoplight and we start to count the number of people that are on their phones because God forbid you go a minute just sitting and staring out a window and looking at the, the scenery around you or whatever. So we start to count the number of people. But I think the fact that we are hyper-connected made it yeah. so easy for us. So I don't think there's any necessarily intentionality or, or malice behind mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this idea. But the fact that, I mean, I, I, you know, the fact that I can be sitting on my couch here in Colorado and Dan, I could text you at 10 o'clock at night and ask you a business question. If mm -hmm. you have your phone there, the, the, the temptation to just pick it up and go, okay, I'm just going to respond real quick to Carlos. It, it's just now it's become second nature for us. And you, you, I remember my dad and I remember early in my career, mm -hmm. I left work, I left work. Nobody, mm -hmm. nobody called me at home. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a, a laptop. I didn't have an email address. And so 
the fact that now we're so hyper connected by our smartphones and by social media and text and wearable mm -hmm. devices, it's just easy. So I think it was a, a slow burn and a, and a slow, uh, you know, kind of going down that slippery slope real slowly. And now the expectation is you should always be connected. And if you think about like an elite athlete, Mm. Uh, my son played college baseball and uh, wow. just finished up his college baseball career. And what was really interesting is they would do the off season. They would have their workout routines. They would have their schedules, things like that. But he went through a period of time. He was a pitcher where during the year he wouldn't throw and he was mm -hmm. giving his arm a rest. And mm -hmm. so when you think about how elite athletes, they train, but then they also take breaks, they take days mm -hmm. off, they do this. Mm -hmm. What makes us think it's any different with our work? Because we're using our mental uh, capacity at a rate that just is not feasible and it's exhausting us as a, as a nation. And it truly, again, that's why I called it the un-American dream is this, this dream of achievement has actually become quite un-American in the way we're trying to grasp that golden ring. Yeah, it really is. And you mentioned something, uh, it was either something I read or in one of the videos, but um, you know, you said you kind of almost have to say, why am I doing this? You know, yeah. why, why am I working so hard? Well, you know, 99% probably for, for my family, right? And uh, if I'm not there to enjoy it with them, then what's the purpose? You right. know, and um, you kind of take a step back. So what about, you know, a lot of executives, a lot of us are, are, are called to do a lot of traveling. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's unavoidable, but how is there a way to kind of follow your blueprint um, either to maybe not travel as much or anything you can do while you're traveling or how do you, how do you tackle that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I used to travel incessantly um, and, and I still do travel. So don't get me wrong. I think, I think it, that's part of the boundary that you have to determine. And, and one of the things I get all the time is, Oh, Carlos, this is easy for you to say you own, you own your own company. Um, mm. I would say yes and no to that because when a client, I, I don't have clients that are just in my backyard. I have clients and, and, and work literally all over the world. Um, but I think there's an opportunity to go to your management and we actually have a profile, uh, actually two profiles in the book. At the end of the book, I, I put five corporate profiles and two of them, one is uh, Claire and the other one is L, where they kind of created before within uh, Claire within her job and then L before she took the job, what she is willing and not willing to do. And I just talked to a colleague yesterday who did the same thing, hmm. landed a new job. And before he did, he said, look, I have young children. Here's what I'm willing to do. And he included travel in that. And hmm. I think this idea of, well, I can do it because I own my own company. Honestly, I think that's a cop out. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be bold. And, and what I loved about Claire's profile is she was in a company, a uh, large company. I mean, a brand name that everybody would know. Mm -hmm. And then she knew after she had her child that with her husband traveling and her traveling, this wasn't feasible anymore. So not only did she create a new job description, she started talking to headhunters and recruiters just in case the current company was going to go, hey, look, take it or leave it. This is your job. But fortunately enough for her, and I applaud the company, and I can't, can't mention their name. I wish mm -hmm. I could. They were like, hey, you're, such, you're so valued. Yeah, we're mm -hmm. good. 
here's your new job. And so she still travels, but not as much. But I think we have the ability to take this into our own hands. And if our companies or our management doesn't want us to have a life, I think maybe we should start asking the question, is this an organization I really want to work for? And if you're traveling to a point where you're never seeing your kids, you're never seeing your relationship, I can tell you those relationships are going to suffer because there's mm -hmm. only so much time and you have to be present in order to build into relationship and FaceTime is not presence. No, that's, that's huge. You know, and I've talked uh, a bit on this podcast about sometimes we get on autopilot yeah, you know, and and, and uh, uh, you know, I say, are you you know, are you driving, are you driving the car in your life, or are you just a passenger? And um, this is a great example of just being intentional about what you want, you know, what the boundaries are in work and life, and then making sure either your current job is providing that, or you know, re rewiring it so that it can, or to find another job that meets your needs all along making sure that you're delivering value, right? And delivering the goods and that you bring value to the company. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, in the case of the example you mentioned, they made it work for her. So, um, and, and the great thing about this is that you're out there saying this is possible and you should strive for this rather than falling into the, you know, the common thought process today of, Hey, you just, you know, we gotta be on, I gotta be a hundred percent. I gotta make this happen or I'm not going to succeed. So, Right. I think it's um, I think it's fantastic. So um, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about. So you and I met. This is funny um, on <laughs> on Twitter. You know, people are probably saying, "Hey, how, you know, how do you guys meet?" Well, I was going through my Twitter one night, and uh, there was a comment from uh, Carlos that said, um, "You know, sales is king." I don't think so. Um, actually, and you, and you probably were like, "Who is this troll who's trolling my Twitter account?" <laughs> <laughs> I have to say at first I was, I was, at first I was like, oh man, what is this? You know? Yep. And, um, you know, and Carlos said, actually the customer is king, not sales. So, and then I said, interesting, you know, but you know, you, you need a sale in order to get a customer. So we had a nice, you know, a nice back and forth. I looked at Carlos's profile. I was, I was very impressed. And I said, wow, would you love to come on the sales is king podcast? And, um, you know, so we've developed a, a little uh, business friendship here and I'm really excited about it. But, you know, it, it underscores um, this whole notion of customer experience, mm -hmm. which um, from everything you read is becoming, you know, coming to the top as the number one differentiator today. I also read something that said um, somewhere over 70% of most companies' revenue is you know, repeat revenue from current customers. So customer success is huge. You know, you made the move from demand generation uh, mm -hmm. to now focusing on customer experience. So tell us a little bit about your, your philosophy on customer experience and, and what you're doing today um, to help companies with that. Yeah, well, first of all, I, uh, I did enjoy that Twitter exchange and I, I love the fact that we <laughs> without ever really engaging before, have a dialogue over Twitter. Yes. Live at this point. And what <laughs> I appreciate, literally what I appreciated, Dan, is, is I've, I've taken that step before with other people. And it's this immediately lambasting <laughs> opinion. And I just love the fact that you were open to a discussion and saying, look, you know, there's, there's two sides, there's different views, and God forbid we all think alike. So, oh, so man. thanks for that. Sure. Um, 
<laughs> you know, my, my thought and my philosophy on good marketing and good sales, whether you're consumer side or you're B2B, is everything has to align around the customer. And the reason I believe that so strongly, and, and what I'm talking about is all the way from audience engagement, brand engagement, and, and from, an, from a customer perspective, all the way through to our goal should be to turn every customer into an advocate for our brand. Mm. And there's a lot of different steps in there and a big, long journey uh, that goes from brand all the way through uh, advocacy. But the reason I, th I believe that the customer really is driving everything and that everything marketing and sales sh does should align. And quite frankly, even product and it touches, I was on a call the other day with a prospective uh, client or as, as my dear friend, Jill Raleigh calls them future advocate. Um, <laughs> it, it, and they were talking about, well, do you think finance would be involved? I'm like, well, yeah, if your billing process is a problem, Yes, finance will be involved. And so I think because the customer is so connected, number one, we, we just talked about in regards to the book, how connected we all are. I don't need a salesperson to find out your product, find out about mm -hmm. your company. I don't need your marketing content to find that out. I can go on to LinkedIn today, type mm -hmm. in any brand name and says, has anybody worked with insert brand name, please tell me your experience. Mm. I can do that on Twitter. I can do it on Instagram. I can do it on any mm. social platform. And the brand doesn't even know that I'm engaging in this way. And so mm. I am so uber connected as a customer <clears throat> that I am really driving that interaction. That's number one. Number two, we're seeing brand loyalty take a nosedive. I just did a talk yesterday mm. at the Digital Summit Denver, where we talked about brand trust and how to restore that through empathy and humor. So when we think about brand trust, we don't have the loyalty we used to, partly because there's so many different uh, uh, choices out there, right? For software sure. or mm -hmm. for consumer cars, whatever you want, want. So I think those two things, and when our philosophy is, we have to understand, first and foremost, what is the interaction that the customer is taking at that stage of their journey? So if it's brand interaction, and then what do they want to feel? And I'm, I'm very clear to say there's a difference between service and experience. So what are we going to make that customer feel? So we, you know, we talk about commercials that, that drive emotion and they either make you laugh or they're sentimental and they, they evoke some kind of emotion. Well, that's an experience. Mm -hmm. If I'm a brand and I can evoke emotion from my customer, um, let's hope it's not anger, but if I can evoke um, emotion, I'm creating an experience. And so unless we go to the customer and say, what experience are you expecting? And then internally say, now who internally is responsible for creating that experience? So you had mentioned um, my career in demand generation. And so I spent a lot of time doing demand generation. During that buying process, how many of us have tried to buy from a brand and it's increasingly frustrating to buy from them because they make it so damn difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I worked, I, I was literally on behalf of a client trying to buy or at least investigate software for their sales enablement team. So you would think if a customer or a software company that is selling sales enablement software, they would be super responsive. 
the clock is now ticking at three weeks and I have yet to hear from a sales rep despite three, I, I got one response, said, hey, call me on this date at this time. I'm going to be available. Want to chat with you. Three weeks have gone by. I've not heard from them at all. It's mind boggling. Right. So, so what kind of experience is that? Now, my client has said, drop them. We're not interested in somebody who doesn't want our business. <clears throat> That's a really bad experience. So we've got to expound beyond that. What I wanted was somebody to just be attentive. I didn't want to be sold to. The experience I wanted was I wanted to be educated. Mm -hmm. That's it. And so if we can tap into that and really then say, so who's responsible for that? Well, on using that software company, their salespeople and sales engineers were responsible for that. Mm -hmm. and so they failed in delivering that experience. And now if I have another client who says, hey, should we look at them? I'm going to go, no, don't, because they're not going to respond to you. So that's the impact of the experience. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we help organizations define that end-to-end -end journey. I hate the term life cycle because that infers that eventually a customer is going to go away. And mm. we should actually be, if they're advocates, hopefully they're lifetime customers. And so we want to understand the journey. We understand who in the company, who in our customer's company is interacting with us at that point, because we may have product people interacting in a implementation phase. They may not be part of the brand engagement. Mm -hmm. So those change. Then we want to understand internally who's responsible for making that experience possible and for delivering that experience. And then lastly, do we need technology to help make that experience better and to mm -hmm. enable that? So that's yeah. what we do for our clients. And it comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes we start with just brands. Sometimes we focus in on demand gen. Sometimes we focus in on post-sale, but everything is cloaked in. The customer is the, the focal point and the business should revolve around the customer. Without a doubt. And um, it does have to be end to end and it could be any point along the way, right? Mm -hmm. That somebody trips over something that uh, can just shoot the whole experience. So everyone right. needs to be on board. I think, um, you know, it seems like we have to be focused on personalizing, right? Mm -hmm. To, um, you know, like you said, what are they expecting? You know, and right. how can we personalize um, an experience that, um, you know, satisfies their needs? In the sales end, I was just, I just got notified on Facebook of a, you know, the <laughs> video I did a year ago, but, um, and I was talking about salespeople and, and, you know, in sales, we actually need to paint the picture for the prospect of what is going to happen after the sale, mm -hmm. because they are concerned, right? That, that, you know, they may have had a great experience until now. Um, they like dealing with the marketing content. They like dealing with me in sales. But, you know, I need to paint them an exciting picture of what's going to happen uh, yeah. when we kick off. What, you know, what team members will be involved, how they'll be handled, um, and, and how the process will go. So I think it's huge. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, I'm, I've been focused on B2B, but, Certainly, um, in the B2B space, uh, it is becoming such a key differentiator. And you just, you know, you're only as um, strong as your weakest link. Right. And um, so I would imagine that the work you guys are doing is really in demand right now. Um, anything else that's, you know, kind of trending in, in customer experience that, that you could tell us about? Well, I think what I'm seeing is a lot of organizations are paying lip service to it, but I have... Mm. I see very few that are saying, we are going to appoint a chief 
experience officer or customer experience officer and give them the authority to make change in the organization. Um, so you mentioned salespeople. I think salespeople are foundational to mm -hmm. delivering a good experience. And, and you're in the you're in the space and you deal with salespeople probably more than I do. Mm -hmm. But when I see salespeople who all they're trying to do is push a product versus the salesperson who's saying, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, let me, I, I hear what you're saying, but let's really explore not what you, let's not address the symptom, which is the problem. Let's address your core need. And I'm going to educate you. And I remember meeting with one client and the CRO said to me, how do we differentiate? Because we're in a commodity space. I said, how about starting with this? Have your salespeople say, whether or not you buy from us, I want to make sure you make the most informed decision possible. Oh, I love that. And he sat there and he said, I'm not sure we could do that. I said, why not? <laughs> I said, why not? And he said, um, well, I, 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 I don't know if our salespeople know our space that well. I said, so let's enable them. Let's educate them. Mm -hmm. And it was like this, he, it was almost like he wanted to do it. But at the end of the day, it was that, oh, oh my God, like what, we're going to give customers permission not to buy from us. But imagine if you, if you had a salesperson that did that, because if you're going to educate me and help me really get to the core root of my need and not just address symptoms, chances are, Dan, I'm going to buy from you, even if you're the more expensive product, even if you don't have the best product, because you created a great experience for me, mm -hmm. created something where you made me feel safe you, and, the, and, and you made me feel human. You gave me some insight. You supplied things. You built a relationship with me. And I know at the end of the day that if this, something goes wrong, I can give you a call and call you on the phone. So I think those are the types of things when we look at customer experience officers, when, and I hear salespeople, well, I'm, you know, they're not allowed in our space. Well, they're not telling you how to, how to necessarily go out and, you know, meet your quota. They're actually mm -hmm. making you better. And so if an organization is going to a point or even say, Hey, this, it's now the CMO's job by God, give them the authority to actually train and enable and equip and empower the people to do it the right way because it is a competitive differentiator. I know restaurants, just simple example, restaurants here in my town in Colorado Springs, really good food. I don't want to go there anymore because their service sucks. Yep. And uh, yep. I'm not a prima donna. I'm pretty easy to, to please. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and even the other day, my son who's, who's home for the summer was like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm never going there again. He said, you know, the wait time and this and the waitress acted like we, should, we were an inconvenience. And you know what? We have more choices than that. And so right. customers. Yeah, that's all it takes. Um, and, you know, it's there. I guess there is, you know, we're just so bombarded with a lot of sameness today. Um, mm -hmm. I try and tell, you know, the teams that I work with and any individual, you know, salespeople, it's like, you know, you have to differentiate yourself, right? Not just the product, but, you know, what is your brand? You know, what, what experience right. do you want to deliver? And I love what you said about, you know, coming in and, 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 and listening and understanding, you know, I, I talk a lot about active listening. There's so yeah. much listening we do in sales that's kind of, uh, you know, listening with one ear and, and until we can just get right in and, and flip the PowerPoint up there and go into our shtick, you know, but if we're really listening to understand, 
if we've really done the research, um, if we really show, and there's this word empathy, and I'm going to have, um, mm -hmm. there's, um, there's a woman uh, who's going to come on the podcast who actually wrote a book on empathy, Helen Reese. Okay. Um, and I, I really love this book, but you know, there's so much more to empathy. It's really, truly listening and understanding. Um, it's also understanding what isn't spoken, you know, being so deeply connected. But I love what you said about, you know, hey, at the end of the day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and inform you, educate you. And, and maybe I might not be the solution that, that's right. correct for you. Um, and I'm not going to try and shove something down your throat um, because that's not going to build trust. And I think that's where today salespeople struggle, even good salespeople struggle, because there's a lot of not so good salespeople out there just, you know, woodenly just trying to shove something down people's throats and they get turned off. So, um, but tell me, you know, so tell me, um, let's shift a little bit into, into mm -hmm. sales and marketing. So what else are the good salespeople uh, doing today? What's an example of someone that you bought from recently? Um, and, and what did they do that uh, you were impressed with? Or vice versa on the, on the negative side? Well, on the negative side, they just don't return your calls. <laughs> so. that's, that's shocking. You know, before you go forward, there was a, a, some, some study came out where 48% of salespeople don't call a lead back. And I found that so, like, why in God's name are you in this profession? Right. You, you know what I mean? But anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and on that one, I literally sent an email and said, I am trying to give you money and I have been unable to get a phone <laughs> call from you. I'm assuming you guys are set for the year, <laughs> right? You, you made your number. Congratulations. So, so that's the bad side. Um, also, the bad side is the... Um, hey, let me connect with you on LinkedIn. And then my first email to oh, you, God. Hey, thanks for the connection. But hey, do you have 15 minutes? That's not social selling, that's social stalking. And it's creepy. <laughs> and it's bad. So we need to stop and LinkedIn needs to take some, some steps for that. Um, but let me talk about the good ones. I think the good ones, and, and I love that you said active listening. Mm. The best question I think a salesperson can ask, especially in the first one or two meetings, is what else? And mm -hmm. start to ask and really dive into the world of their customer. And so typically in my world, and I go back a lot to, uh, so I'll just use our, our current state here. Very rarely do I get a call that says, hey, we need to develop and implement an end-to-end -end customer experience strategy in our company, mm -hmm. right? I wish I got those all the time. What right. I usually get is, hey, we have a retention problem. Can you help? Mm -hmm. And so when I hear we have a retention problem, what I want to say is, okay, I can address the problem or we can spend time to really diagnose the root cause of what's what that symptom, what that retention symptom is showing. So we worked with one client right now, uh, recently, where customers are telling us, look, the only time we ever hear from them is at renewal. Mm. And so we sign a one-year or two-year uh, uh, contract, and then we don't hear from them anymore. And on top of it, the professional services team to implement takes forever. They're non-respond. I mean, then the list went on. Well, of course you have a renewal problem. So I can't mm -hmm. fix the problem unless you guys are willing to say, Hey, let's put together a customer, uh, a customer communication strategy. The, the first 90 days, 
we want to take care of the customer. We want to thank them for being a customer. We want to remind them why they're glad they chose us and the value mm-hmm. that we're going to provide to them all the way down the line. We then have to work with the professional services team and empower them because these poor people were terrified to make a decision on behalf of the customer without going to their boss and going, hey, can I throw in an extra half an hour or, because, or do I have to nickel and dime them? And so we came up with a solution for that as well. And so the best salespeople listen to the problem and then they know enough about their customers, their experience, their industry, what's happening. And they say, okay, so let's get to the need. The other thing is, and uh, you mentioned empathy. I would also encourage you to have Brian Carroll on the podcast um, and Michael Brenner, both who are doing great work on empathy. But I think what Brian always talks about is if you want to understand your customer, go talk to their customers. Mm. And so, you know, the best salespeople are really subject matter experts on what's happening in their customers' customers' world. And so I always have a test for salespeople and I say, can you talk about your space, your customers' needs, and the trends and directions that are happening in your uh, sphere or in your market without mentioning your product or your brand name? If you can't, you're not a subject matter expert. And all you're going to be there is a product conduit, which really reduces your influence in the deal. If you can be a subject matter expert, this is where, and I think I saw you put a video about the reps being involved early on in the deal. Mm -hmm. I think the reps who are subject matter experts and really uh, conduits of information and knowledge and education they then earn the right to sell the product. And they're eventually they are asked to come in and sell, come in and pitch. But if you lead with the pitch, who likes to be pitched? I don't. You don't. No. None of us do. It's the used car salesman. What do I have to do to get you in the car today? Well, for starters, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. And, and no, uh, yeah, and it's a great distinction. Subject matter expertise does not mean you know your product inside and out. Right. Um, because, you know, that's like the, you know, the price of doing business. You better know your product. But, you know, what do you know about the industry? What do you know about, as you said, how, you know, how does this particular prospect make money? How does their business work? Mm-hmm. What's going on with them? Um, you, know, what, you know, what are you thinking might be some of the issues? Or what are they putting out there? That always impresses me when someone can come in and um, talk a little bit about what they think is happening, ask the right questions, talk right. about their research, talk about what they're doing with other customers. Um, and then, you know, when the time is right, come back in and, and, uh, and you know, and that's one of the, one of the stats we, we marvel over is that only 17% of salespeople get a second meeting. And, um, you know, but when you see what happens sometimes out there, you, you know, you're not surprised. So, um, you know, my, my, yeah. my very first sales call ever, I was in my 20s. Um, I was jazzed that the company that I worked with said, hey, we're going to, not only are you going to account manage, we're going to let you sell. And I was so pumped. And I remember my first meeting, and I was with the president of the company, which I wish she hadn't joined at that point, especially after what happened. I walked in. And I had been told by somebody, you know, find something in the office that's a common ground. So this guy had a set of golf balls (laughs) on it. And at that time, I played a lot of golf. I don't anymore. Um, 
and I said, oh, I said, so uh, where, do, where, do you, where do you like to play, play golf? And he sat back, folded his arms. He said, I hate golf. <laughs> and he said, that was a gift. And he said, you could tell they're still in the sleeve. He said, why would I have golf balls in a sleeve on my shelf if I played golf? Oh, my God. I said, okay. So I panicked a little bit. And I went right into our service. And he put his hand up. And he said, hey, Carlos, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, by all means. He said, what do you know about our company? And I, w I, I knew nothing. All I knew is they wanted to buy a service that we sold. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was so embarrassing. I was mm -hmm. so, I, I just wanted to crawl under the chair. The president of the company sitting there looking at me like, are you serious? Oh, man. Needless to say, we did not win the deal. But I remember walking out of that meeting before our president could say anything. I looked at her and I said, I will never go into a sales call unprepared again. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will never, never not know about our potential customer inside and out ever again. And she was great. She was like, all right, lesson learned. But it was a hard lesson. Mm -hmm. But yeah. huh. this is what we see a lot, right? You don't know about my company. You just want to sell me product. And you know, you were very actually fortunate that the customer, the prospect said that to you. Oh, sure. Oftentimes what happens is they just kind of give you lip service they don't say how they feel, and then you never hear from them again. So, That's right. Right? They're probably thinking, oh, this guy doesn't care about my business. And they, you know, they kind of lip service you for 30 minutes, and then you never hear from them again. So yep. it, was, uh, it was a valuable lesson uh, for you. Well, for sure. it's been uh, wonderful. I really have enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I just want to congratulate you on uh, your career and, um, you know, your epiphany, for lack of a better word, um, and, and changing gears and, you know, figuring out how to have a good, you know, for lack of a better term, work-life balance. It sounds like uh, you have things going on all cylinders now and uh, things are good with your family and with your career. And so a big congratulations on that. And I, I, I learned a lot today. Um, and I think there are some things I'm personally going to do that you mentioned to, to help my own kind of um, efforts on a daily basis. And I thank you for your uh, insights on what's going on, you know, today with customer experience and marketing and sales. And I'd, I'd love for you to come back at some point, but tell us, um, tell the audience in terms of uh, how they can follow you on social or, you know, um, where, where are the places they could, they could find your work? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, t on Twitter, it's at CA Hidalgo, H I D A L G O. Uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn as long as you truly want a connection and don't want to just sell yeah. me anything. <laughs> um, you can go to visioncx.com or also www.theunamericandream.com. We also have a Unamerican Dream uh, Facebook page and then just launched Instagram today. So uh, those are all the ways awesome. that I do. I actually do use social media as a way to uh, communicate. So if somebody tweets at me or, or sends me a LinkedIn message, um, I do reply to every single one. Sometimes it takes me a while, but I really believe they call it social media for a reason. We should be social on it. Absolutely. Carlos, thanks so much again and uh, look forward to uh, staying in touch. Likewise. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be on the Sales is King podcast. Thank you very much. You got it. Mm -hmm.